we are reading uh, from the 40th chapter of Isaiah. Am I on? Yeah. Comfort. Comfort my people, says your gods. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling. In the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up. Every mountain will and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level. The rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all mankind together will see it. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what, what shall I cry? All men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fall, because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news, good tidings to Jerusalem, lift your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, Here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power, and his arm rules for him. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, or with the breadth of his hand, marked off the heavens. Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket? Or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? Who has understood the mind of the Lord or instructed him as his counsellor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him? And who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? Surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. Lebanon is not sufficient for altar fires, nor its animals enough for burnt offerings. Before him all the nations are as nothing. They are regarded by him as worthless and less than nothing. To whom then will you compare God? What image will you compare him to? 
As for an idol, a craftsman casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold, and fashions silver chains for it. A man too poor to present such an offering selects wood that will not rot. He looks for a skilled craftsman to set up an idol that will not topple. Do you know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground, than he blows on them and they wither, and a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, my cause is disregarded by my God? Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Hallelujah for his mighty blessed word. Amen. I feel like saying amen sitting down. <laughs> it's such an amazing passage that, isn't it? Uh, ask Jimmy to read it all. I'm going to be uh, just preaching from snatches of it. In the previous chapter, we read in verse 5, then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord Almighty. The time will surely come when everything in your palace and all that your fathers have stored up until this day will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. And some of your descendants, your own flesh and blood, who will be born to you, will be taken away and become eunuchs 
in the palace of the king of Babylon. And then we'll come to this next chapter. And Isaiah says, comfort, comfort my people, says the Lord. So no sooner has he promised the exile, then comes God's comfort to go with it. And that's what we're looking at today, really. Uh, Isaiah will say that Isaiah said to Hezekiah, and Hezekiah served his time and died before the exile. So Isaiah is speaking into the future now, and this, this is a word of prophecy for the Israelites. The Babylonians hadn't arrived yet. And this comfort wasn't going to come until 70 years after the exile. 70 long years. And for those who were listening to Isaiah on the day, it wouldn't be in their lifetime. God's timing is totally different ours, isn't it? <laughs> it's not much comfort to me if I know my grandbairn's going to be all right, but I'm going to suffer. Well, it is, but it isn't. <laughs> Years earlier, the northern kingdom, Israel, had been taken captive by Assyria. But now Babylon had defeated the Assyrians and they were a nasty bunch. They were worse than the Assyrians. They were cruel and oppressive and they were looking to rule the world. And Judah, as we've already heard, was a place full of sin, disobedient to God's word, ignoring God's prophets. Uh, and they were given every opportunity to repent and they didn't. They just went on in their wicked ways. And uh, this was when Isaiah spoke to them and said, comfort, comfort you, my people. Speak tenderly to them. Proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, her sin has been paid for. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is, this is the situation, isn't it? The God's people, they, they were still sinners and God was providing the way out. While I was a sinner, God was providing the way out and God was uh, promising restoration for me while I was still a rebel. Because this message isn't just for Isaiah's day, it's for the day, it's for you and me. It's for you and me. While we were still sinners. God had a plan for my restoration before I even wanted it. Before I even wanted it. I've got a testimony 
to that fact in that uh, I've got a distant cousin. Well, actually, she was married to a cousin of my grandmother. I didn't, we didn't know the woman at the time. And I was the second child born of five. And she heard I'd been born. And God said to her, pray for that baby. And 25 years later, when I got saved, she said to me, I've been praying for you every day. Before I wanted it, God was busy with my restoration. And it's, it, it, that's a practical example, but he's done the same for all of us. He's done the same for all of us. Whatever happens in our life, God is on the throne. This is the, the beauty of what reason why I wanted Jim to read the whole passage, although I'm not preaching on it, was because it just illustrates so great, so brilliantly how God is in charge of everything. God made everything. You know, as I said yesterday, he, he placed the stars in the sky and he named them. And we cannot even count them. They're still trying. But there's a passage here in... Uh, verse 2 it says proclaim to her this is Jerusalem that her hard service has been completed that her son has, has sin has been paid for and that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins to me that sounded like doesn't sound like God. God doesn't charge us double for our sins. But this was actually referring to a practice that was not unusual in those times. It was quite normal. And it was a, it was a, a practice that if a man was deep in debt and he couldn't pay his, pay his bill, then that bill would be written out on a piece of paper and it would be nailed to the front door of his house for everyone to see that this person was bankrupt and how much he was in debt by. I don't know if it's just in our part of the world, but, but if, if somebody forgets to get, repay you something or if they owe you something, you say jokingly, I'll put your name in the window <laughs> so in other words, I'll let other people know. Uh, do, you, do you use that expression? Uh, no, I think it's just a, a, a Geordie thing, isn't it? Uh, pardon? In the shops. In the shops? Yeah, yeah, put your name in the window. And that's exactly, this is where it comes from. And this is also where the, the old-fashioned uh, pawn shop came from. Uh, another branch of my family used to be butchers on the Tyneside, literally on the Tyneside. And, and the butcher used to do his business with, uh, with the, 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 the sailors and the, uh, and the ships, sh shopkeepers and people. And uh, people used to eat a lot of meat in those days. And they couldn't afford it. So they would come in uh, to pay their bill 
and in order to get a Sunday joint, they couldn't pay the bill, so they would put the old man's suit in as a deposit. See, and uh, I've got a clock on the wall in my house, a ship's clock that's been handed down. It's exactly the same as the one Vera's got in her sitting room, a, brown, a round brass clock. Uh, and that came from the butcher's shop because someone couldn't pay his meat bill. But it had been put up in the window for sale with his name on it. If he didn't pay his bill within the specified time, it went in the window for sale, belonged to so-and-so, and this is the price. So his, his debt was public. His debt was public. If you were fortunate enough to have somebody, a relation or a friend, who was well off, He, would, he could undertake to pay the bill. He would undertake to pay the, your debt. He would undertake to pay it. So he would go to the creditor. He would pay the debt. And then the creditor would come back to my front door. And he would take this bill and he would fold it double. Put it out of sight and seal it. Nail it up. But it would stay there as a testimony that he'd been in debt, but his debt was dealt with. It was doubled. And that's the custom that this is referring to. Because somebody had come and paid my debt. This is what Jesus has done for us. Except Jesus didn't pay with money. He paid with his blood. He hung on the cross and paid my debt to God. And Isaiah is pointing to this comfort my people because your bill, it's, uh, your sin has been paid for. She has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. It's not a wonderful word. This is the comfort that Isaiah was bringing to the people before they'd even gone to Babylon. Less than 20 miles from where I live, there's a wall. It's been there a long time. And uh, every mile along this wall, they used to have a fort. You know, it's what I'm talking about now, don't you? They used to have a fort. And most of those forts have gone, vanished. There's no trace of them. But there's an odd one or two that's still there. Not obviously complete, but the foundations and the, the layout and the, 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 the you know, there's, there's easily noticeable. Why? Have those odd ones survived? It's because they had their a spring within them. They had a source of life was inside them. The others didn't. And their, their spring, their living, their source 
was destroyed by the enemy so that the forts were defeated. But the ones that had a, a source within them couldn't be cut off by the enemy in that way. Jesus said, I am the vine. He who remains in me will bear much fruit. You see where I'm going with this? We need to have Jesus inside of us if we are going to survive. If we are going to survive. And Isaiah is talking about the journey home from Babylon. The journey home from Babylon. The people that Isaiah was speaking to had deserted their God. They were, they were worshipping Nebo and Bel, gods of Babylon. And that's where Nebuchadnezzar gets his name from, from, from the, God of, the god Nebo. And Belteshazzar, the other Babylonian kid, gets his name from Bel because they are the gods they worshipped. And the Israelites were worshipping them as well. And not only worshipped them, but they ended up on their way to Babylon to, uh, with their land destroyed because they had deserted the source of life, which was Yahweh, their God. And, the, and, and their land was completely destroyed. Their land was completely destroyed. Am I looking outside for places of refreshment? Am I looking to other gods? Am I getting my refreshment from within, from Jesus? Do I waste time watching trash on the telly instead of spending time with my God? where true refreshment comes from. There's so many implications in, in our life in this 21st century where, where we turn to other gods and because we aren't using the well that's within it dries up and our life crumbles. Am I obeying his word? Is there something in my life that I'm rebelling about and refusing to give up? <coughs> God is speaking tenderly to us in this passage. We too need to receive double for our sins. But first, before we can receive this double, they need to be displayed. <laughs> they need to be on the door, on my door. I need to confess them. It's no good hiding them away. They've got to be there. And when we do that, as I've said, we have 
a very rich benefactor who pays for all our debt. He came and paid with his blood by hanging on the cross. He was hung between two criminals for me because I'd turned to foreign gods. We, uh, we all know this, but so often we don't make use of it. We refuse in our stubbornness to talk to God about our sins. As a, an illustration I've used before, and I'm sure I'll use it again, and I don't apologize, because I think it says it for us very well. Uh, on occasions, I'll be sitting in church. Phil's just saying to me, look at those trousers. You've got clean ones in the wardrobe. And she will uh, tell me off because I've come out with the dirty trousers on or something like that. Now, it's not only that she's ashamed of us. <laughs> it's more the fact that she's washed them. She's dried them, she's aired them, she's folded them up, she's prepared these nice clean trousers for me and I just got my old ones. God, through Jesus, came and died, shed his blood on the cross for me and I don't use that. I'm content to stick in me old dirty trousers. They're hung up in the wardrobe. All prepared, all I've got to do is take them down, put them on. But I'm comfortable in my old dirty ones. Such a cost, and I don't even take it up sometimes. There is a huge difference, isn't there, in God's discipline, because God's discipline is a restorative discipline. It's not a punishment. It's not a punishment. It's for our good. We can read about that in Hebrews chapter 12. I haven't got time this morning. I like to think of uh, discipline as preparation for heaven. Yeah. <laughs> So God provides forgiveness for us, and this is immediately followed by deliverance. Deliverance from the enemy, deliverance from Babylon. Uh, and verse 3 is a very familiar passage, isn't it? 
a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord. And it's one of the few passages that's in all four Gospels. Do you know that? There's, we know all these so stories, but very few of them are in all four Gospels. This is one of them, and it's referring to John the Baptist and the fact that he's coming to prepare the way for Jesus. But this word was first written to these people of Jerusalem. It was first written to them who were about to go into exile. And the, the message to them was, although Babylon is a long way away, approximately 30 days walk if you're fit, so <laughs> probably 40 days, because you had to bring grandma and the bands as well. I, your God, can do it. And we've, we're, so, so Isaiah goes on to tell us about the greatness of God. It's, it's, it's a doddle for him. He can do it. Look at what he's already done. And, and we had that great long list of God's achievements that Jimmy read to us. God can. I think that's a, a, a you know, two, three-letter word says so much about so many different things. God can. There's nothing, nothing that God cannot do. The Lord will open the way through the desert. Straightening the road. The, the, the road between Babylon and Jerusalem was, is, I don't know what it's like now, I've never been, but it was horrendous. It was all mountains, it was desert, it was valleys, it was rough, uh, it, and, but it didn't matter. Because God says that uh, make, way, make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low, the rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. Then the Lord's glory will be revealed. Everyone will see it. All mankind together will see it. And a voice says, cry it out. Shout it out loud. <coughs> Shout it out loud. This would be nothing for God. I mean, he built, he put, he built the world, didn't he? He put it together. God says, I'm going to lead you through this. I'm going to take you through this wilderness. No obstacle is a problem. And we know the history books say that they did it. But this is also a promise for me today. No matter what my Babylon is, we've all got Babylons in our life. No matter what my Babylon is, God can lead me home. He can overcome any obstacle. Heaven is full of people who have been saved from different Babylons, liars, thieves, rapists, murderers. Think of it. 
there's no exception. God can deliver us from Babylon. He doesn't want to see anybody lost. He is our shepherd. He gathers us in his arms and carries us in his heart. And he leads us on our journey home. This is the promise that John the Baptist was preaching. Repent. The kingdom of God is near. The good shepherd is coming to lead us home. Get prepared for the journey. This is what John was preaching. Get prepared for the journey. <clears throat> Those who came home from Babylon have completed their journey. We are on a different journey. Our citizenship is in heaven. Paul wrote that to the Philippians exactly in those words. Our citizenship is in heaven and we are on our way. But we add another dimension to this by applying it to John the Baptist. He was a he was bringing it not just to the people in his day, but to me. Jesus needs a road into 2018 through me. Am I doing that with my life today? That's a question that I find myself asking as I think about this. Is my life an example that makes other people want to join me? The glory of the Lord, Isaiah says, will be revealed and all mankind will see it. Will they see that in me? Do people see God's glory revealed in my life? So often they don't. So often they don't. Am I living the kind of life that I'm proud of? If my thoughts were actually speech bubbles that you could see above my head, would that be all right? I just, I just failed that that I feel in this all the time, all the time. Uh, does my life point people to Jesus? <coughs> Sometimes. Is God glorified because of the way I handle difficult situations? What's my response when somebody pulls in front of me on the road? When things don't go my way? 
it's very easy, isn't it, to walk a good life here when we are together for a week or putting our Sunday morning faces on. But what about when I get home? Challenges come. Things don't go the way I want them to. It's then that this highway of holiness we are supposed to be on gets tough. Other areas in my life that need straightening out make straight in the wilderness a highway for God. That's what, that's what the message is for us. Am I totally honest in everything? Is my life straight? Do I ever bend the truth? Do I ever exaggerate? Do I ever allow people to think the wrong thing about me because it's better for me if they think that? I don't have to tell a lie, I just have to let them think it. Am I totally honest about everything? Alan's got a testimony on the way here. I, I don't think he made a shit in this. I didn't ask him. On the way here, he scraped a car in a car park with his caravan, just caught it. There was nobody there. What do you do? Drive off? Or do you leave a note on the windscreen with a contact number, an apology? Because that's the straight way. And that's what Alan did. <coughs> what about the mountains that appear in my life? The pride. Do I boast? Do I talk too much? Am I one of these people who's, doesn't matter what, I've been there, I've got a t-shirt. Do I have an attitude that says I'm right? Don't argue with me. Total lack of humility. Am I stubborn? Can't be my fault I don't get things wrong. What about the valleys? Those areas of life that make me negative, and I'm not speaking about depression. I suffer from depression, and, and it's a medical thing. I'm talking about uh, am I the kind of person who sees the glass full or the glass half full? Something like that. You know what I mean? <laughs> half full or half empty, that's what I mean, isn't it? Well, the shoe salesmen who went to Africa in the last century and thought, oh, there's no point in coming here, they don't wear shoes. Or do I think, whoa, look at all these places, look at all these people who need shoes. 
Which one am I? What's my life telling other people about my saviour? Most people think that to go to church, you've got to be miserable. There's no smoke without fire. And that's on us. Valleys. There's a song that we learned a long time ago and I just recently found out where it came from. There was a teacher who, uh, in America who always turned up at school with a great big smile on his face. It didn't matter what had gone on and he had some tragedy in his life and he still turned up the next day with a smile on his face and, and nothing. The kids used to try and deal with this by eradicating his smile and they couldn't. And at the end of the, of, of the year, the kids went to him. They got to know him very well and he was an approachable sort of bloke. And they said, why is it that you always smile? And he said, joy is the flag flown high from the castle of my heart because the king is in residence there because my fort has got a spring in it and that's given me the life and the joy and I can't be destroyed because Jesus is in me. Do I need the rough edges knocking off? Do I have a quick response? Don't ask my wife. Am I quick to criticise? Have I got a sharp tongue? Do I make sarcastic comments? The areas of our journey where we feel to display the glory of the Lord are endless. I can only speak for me. Um, my, my feelings are endless. We have a God who... Eh, who is prepared to pay the debt because he died on the cross. And all I've got to do is be prepared to nail the cause of my debt on the door to repent, to admit this is who I am. This is who I am. And then Jesus' blood pays the debt and it's folded double. And that is my testimony. Jesus has taken away the feelings in my life, the sin in my life, because he's the spring in my heart. Because Jesus, I've invited him in here.
and I fail and I'll fail again but when I do Jesus doubles my sin and hides it away out of sight and then my joy returns it's the flag flown high from the castle of my heart I think that's wonderful the bloke didn't realise he was writing a song uh, but uh, hopefully prayerfully my life is shown other people the way to glory the way out of Babylon and all mankind together will see it for the mouth of the Lord has spoken Amen <laughs>